At Acuity Insurance, we believe the things you do for your business every day are nothing short of heroic. And you deserve someone equally heroic to protect them. Like the breaking ground on new construction things. The every box and barcode matters things. And the driving the family business forward things. We put our all into covering your business so you can focus on the things you love most. That's the power of heart. Acuity Insurance, wholeheartedly for you. of Kings of the Podcast coming to you live from the Kyle Clifford Studios. And DB, I threw a little curveball at you with the name of the studios today. My guess is the guest is not going to be Drew Dowdy today. Uh, no, not today. Not today. Coming up okay. soon, Dewey's uh, he's vacationing in Catalina, and he will be he will be back <laughs> soon. That was uh, a nod to Trevor Lewis there. But anyway, uh, yes, <laughs> Kyle Clifford. You know, DB, I was thinking about this. I really enjoy uh, having the name of the studios tied to these obscure kings. You know, it's fun to bring up people's names, guys that only had a cup of coffee, maybe played a handful of games. But, you know, if I really truly, if I was to go down to the sign shop and have a, an official sign made for the kings of the podcast studio, and it was going to be named after a former player. The, the, I was thinking about this earlier today. The first name that comes up to mind automatically would be Kyle Clifford. That is the guy that I would name the studio after. Yeah, he's your guy. I get it. And and he he is in the hearts of so many different Kings fans. And, and not because he scored great goals or he was a fastest skater, but just a heart and soul player, a guy, a glue guy that we talk about all the time that you need and who certainly will live on in, in the memories, even though he's now in St. Louis. Well, you brought up a few episodes ago, sort of the uh, the Ring of Honor, or what, what did you call it, right. the Legends yeah, Ring? The ring? Yeah, Ring of Honor. Okay, for so guys whose whose jerseys won't be raised to the bat, to the rafters in Staples Center, but should be noted that I think John and I think you've made an issue. You could go back to the the pre twenty twelve, but I think the large majority of the players like Cliffy, like a Green, like a Stoll. I think the majority because they won championships would be inducted in the Ring of Honor. I'm not saying pre. You know, 2012, you wouldn't have some great players who didn't have their jerseys retired in there. But I think that um, 
you know, the, thing, the only problem would be finding space for all the players up 2012 and 2014 because there would be a lot in that ring. Well, uh, Andre Lakhtianov would probably not qualify building on our last episode, but, um, you know, pre-2012, you just named a couple guys from 2012, absolutely, but uh, pre-2012, I think some of the names that come to mind uh, immediately would be Ian LaPerriere. I still think that he belongs right. in some sort of a, a – has needs to have a ceremony in Los Angeles and, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, Matty Nordstrom, of course, he had a Legends Night. Yes. Uh, he, he would be in that ring of honor. And then when you start going a little bit earlier than that, uh, you know, you can start to debate guys like Bernie Nichols and maybe uh, – even Butch Goring, who I tend to think of more as a member of the Islanders just because of the success that he had there. But uh, that could be a fun episode. And we're going to do Twitter polls later in the show today. So if uh, the listeners have... Wait a minute, John. Wait, 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 wait. You didn't bring up your guy. Which guy? Which one? Sandrum in the in the mayor ring of honor. If there's a mayor ring of honor, well, he might be the first inductee. Come on. Today I stopped at Starbucks and I had to do rock paper scissors with the guy that worked there. I was th- should it be yeah. Sandstrom or should it be Clifford for the name of the studios? We did rock paper scissors. Right. Cliffy, Cliffy, it wasn't even two out of three. Cliffy just won the first two straight out, and that was it. So straight I'm up. sorry, Tomas. Uh, you're you're gonna have to, maybe next time we'll do another one. But <laughs> back to the man, you threw me with the number eight. I was racking my brain through the, the annals of L.A. King. Historian. It's okay. Exactly. It's okay. You were close. You were one off. It's good. It's one off. Yeah. I know it was a thing. I know it was a single number. There Come you on. go. There you go. Um, one of the very few times that I like when a forward is a single digit number, but that's a different story Ooh. for a different day. Uh, where I was going with that DB is that we're going to be doing some Twitter polls later on today, and uh, that's a great topic I think for the fans. If you guys think that we should do a Twitter poll about former kings that would need to be in sort of this ring of honor that uh, DB has created, and that we're going to we're going to run with it as a topic or an idea tweet us some names of some players that you would like us to do a twitter poll on and we will we will throw that out there so uh we're going to do numerology here in the first period we're going to have kyle clifford on as a guest during the second period in the third period we'll do those twitter polls i just mentioned we will also uh talk about a little bit of breaking la king's news but first though db speaking of breaking news we have an announcement we we teased this a little bit on twitter uh however we wanted to wait to make an official announcement but support for kings of the podcast is now brought to you by manscape who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineering tools for your family jewels. It's a great tagline, by the way. Um, (laughs) So, look, before talking about our new relationship with Manscaped um, here on the show, both you and I, DB, we wanted to receive some products, so we had it delivered to us separately, not, I mean, different locations. Uh, We wanted to individually give the items, give the products a test drive, and um, here's the deal. Things don't always work out when you're, you know, doing some cleanup in your area, DB, but Manscaped products really make things easy for you. Uh, right from the start, I think both of you, both of us, not both of you, both of us instantly, we, we, we texted each other about the packaging because as kind of like marketing and business people, we love the whole packaging of the product. Yeah, the presentation is fantastic. It's, and, it's, you know, when you open the box up, it, there's a little joke with respect to an insert. And, but, yeah packed very well, very compact. Um, all the products are it, it labeled very well. And I just think a great presentation. I mean, when you find the product, the first, you know, it's first impression is the, the best impression. And just when I open the box, I was like, this is really, obviously they sold a lot of these, but it just, the presentation was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so you do get some some extra goodies in here in the, in the kit that we had. Uh, you had a, a nice pair of underwear, which are very comfortable, and a T-shirt, which you can size accordingly. Uh, you also get some, some balms and some creams. You get some uh, preserver, which is some deodorant. You get the reviver, which is great. 
you get uh, a whole bunch of stuff. But DB, the charger itself, it just it really lays nicely in your hand. It's a, they've obviously put a lot of time and, and effort yeah. into developing all the products. And like you said, in the in the space itself, there there is no wasted space in this box. It is a it's a reusable box too. It's not done like a shoe box or anything. It's it actually has some nice folding compartments. But hey, that's why Manscaped has uh, redesigned the entire electric trimmer scene. So Manscaped. The engineering team, from what we uh, were able to research, DB, they spent about 18 months perfecting the greatest trimmer ever created. They just released this new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. You might have seen that on our Twitter uh, handles. And this third-generation trimmer, it features cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to the advanced skin-safe technology uh, pioneered by Manscaped. We know how sensitive that area can be, and you want to make sure that uh, you don't have any nicks and cuts down there. Uh, And look, when you talk about premium, I mean, this is premium. Premium DB. The battery itself lasts up to ninety minutes, so you could take a longer shave. Or, but I don't know though why anybody That's needs why to. Why you'd dying. want to, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm all for slow and steady wins the race, but ninety minutes might be <laughs> might be a bit much. So, yeah. I, hey, you don't. Yeah. You're busy though. You guys are busy. We know that. You know, we're dropping podcasts right. every couple of days. You guys have a lot of things to do, so at least you don't have to recharge your your manscaped okay. trimmer every couple of days. Uh, it's also the waterproof technology allows you to groom in the shower, which is helpful. And uh, one of the really cool features, it has an LED light which illuminates yes. your grooming. That area. light is fantastic. At, that light is I, just you know you turn it on the lights there it's, it's fantastic and it's lightweight john yeah, it's it, not you would think with all the components you think oh this thing weighs a couple it's so lightweight it's easy to maneuver and then i love the led light uh that's a great point yeah you know that's it's it's the details and that's the thing whether it's the packaging or whether it's the actual components themselves or the, or the creams and the bombs and everything they they really uh they've done a great job with the details yeah. Um, they upgraded the motor. It's a 7,000 RPM quick stroke technology motor. Uh, the whole setup, it's pretty cool. He has a, a charging dock with a USB as well. Uh, like we said earlier, we, we separately, we took it for a test drive. Uh, we're sure the listeners are going to want to do so also. That way that they can experience it firsthand. So um, let's get you cleaned up before next season, guys. Don't wait. You can get 20% off plus free shipping. Just simply go to manscaped.com. Use the code KOTP2020. Super easy. KOTP2020 at manscaped.com. Now, DB, before we uh, move along any further, I do just want to call one final attention to the packaging because I thought this was really cool. There's like the, uh, a little newspaper, which, you know, you can put on the floor mm-hmm. and you can use if you want. But I was actually reading the newspaper. I was taking me back to uh, you know my childhood days. I enjoyed reading the newspaper. I, I still enjoy right. reading magazines. Uh, it's, it's, you know, something about having it in your hand rather than reading it off of a tablet. But anyway, in this newspaper, which there there's tons of funny stuff in there. Um, there's a horoscope section. So it, it drew me in for a second, knowing that your birthday is in late May. I believe you're a Gemini. Is that right? Correct. That's right. Yeah. May 22nd. Okay. So in reading you, uh, did you read your horoscope? I did, but read it, read it for the fans. Cause it, it's appropriate. <laughs> it, it's, it's DB appropriate. It, it very, it very, very much is. So, uh, it says, <laughs> a, this is for DB for Gemini's. It says a serious problem will soon come your way. You will find that you're actually the source of that problem. So do your best to avoid yourself in the first place. Both of you will be better off. Uh, both of you will be better off as a result. I just thought it was. And, so- here, and here I thought I was a problem solver, but I'm the problem source. So, Stay away you from know. yourself. Exactly. I think from what about now. you, John? Let's I, go on to yours. I'll, I'll read you mine, and then I think that I'm going to frame this, and then from now on, before every guest comes on, we will read them their horoscope uh, because these these really are some good ones. That's great idea. Uh, I'm a Sagittarius, and. Uh, Mine says, you may believe you can fly. You may believe you can touch the sky. You might think about it night and day. So imagine yourself spreading your wings and flying away. Now, 
DB, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not flying away. You and I, we're going to stick this thing out together, right? Kings of the podcast? Yeah, no, no. Okay. Yeah, look, there's a fleeting moment when I might want you to fly away, but no, 99.9% oh, wow. of the time, yeah, I want you here. Fair no enough. Problem. Fair enough. I will okay. take it. Uh, so while I was reading the horoscopes, hopefully listeners grabbed a pen or a pencil to write this down. I'll give it out one more time. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code KOTP2020. Again, KOTP2020 at manscaped.com. You can get your 20% off plus free shipping. Just head over there to manscaped.com. Use that code, pick it up, uh, and then tell us about your experience or just tell us, you know what, DB, how about this? How about people just use an emoji, like a, like a thumbs up or a thank you or a, or a fist or something just to tell us that everything worked out well. We don't need anything yeah, more than just that. Thank you. Just a yeah, thank we you. Don't need, we, we don't need 280 characters. We need one or two. There you, yeah, there, there's going to be a contest. <laughs> how can you thank us in the fewest characters? Yes, yes. exactly. <laughs> Only emo- one. Oh, yeah, there you go. Only emojis. All right, let's, uh, let's get into numerology. We have Kyle Clifford standing by to join us in the second period. For numerology, DB, uh, number 13 in Los Angeles has only been worn by four players. Originally, the first time, it was worn by Robert Lung. Or you could say Lang, Lung, Lung, whatever you prefer. Robert Lang, Robert Lung. 1993 to 1996, he wore the number in Los Angeles. Mike Camilleri wore the number later from 2003 to 2008, uh, initially there. And then John Zeiler wore the number in 2009. And, of course, Cliffy wore the number from 2011 uh, into early 2020. It was a dark day here at Kings of the Podcast, so we won't focus on that. But uh, as we have Cliffy coming up in the second period. But let, let's just focus on two of those players, okay? Putting Mike Camilleri aside uh, for a second. And, and sorry, Mike, if you're listening. I know you have a cab to jump into, but... Uh, I want to focus on the, the first two. <laughs> Hopefully people get my inside jokes, DB. Yeah, right, um, exactly. <laughs> Robert Long, he was traded. It's a whole thing. Look it up. Google it, kids. Uh, Robert Long, um, he was drafted in Los Angeles in the seventh round, DB, and he ended up playing 989 games. Now, I didn't real. I remember him being a player in Los Angeles. He played about 150 games or so in LA, um, including his NHL debut. But I did not realize he played 989 games. I remember him with Pittsburgh. Also, I know he played with Detroit and a couple of other teams. Um, but the thing that I found interesting, DB, is that when he first um, came over uh, from Europe, he was playing for the Phoenix Roadrunners, which would have been the Kings' top minor league affiliate in the IHL at the time. So he started his NHL, or excuse me, his pro career in the States. He started it in Phoenix, and at the very end of his career, after L.A., after Pittsburgh, after all these places, all these tour of duties, his last stop was the Phoenix Coyotes. I just thought, how appropriate. He began his career in the desert. He ended his career in the desert and uh, played a lot also on the international stage. So Robert Long was, uh, was quite the player. 989 NHL games. I mean, it's a bummer that the guy couldn't get to 11 more. But last episode, DB, we had Blake Lazada on talking about how it's nice to be drafted, but the real work begins the day after the draft. And right. I think it's, appro- look, it's appropriate here. I mean, how many seventh-round players play 1,000 games in the NHL? Yeah, two-time 30-goal score. He actually once got a couple of votes for the heart, Lady Bing, and he was an all-star. So, yeah, so, yeah, most of his time in, in, in Pittsburgh, I think of the, I think he scored 261 goals, so 103. But, yeah, to do that, to play that many games as a seventh-round pick, you just don't see that anymore, John, to be frank. Yeah, and uh, Yarmir Yager and Robert Long, they had a, a long-standing feud over who had the best hair in Pittsburgh as well. Those were some, <laughs> some epic mullets. You can, uh, there's more for you guys to go look up. Find some of those hockey cards. Uh, now, moving on to John Zeiler. Zeiler's a really interesting case. I mean, you talk about obscure players. This is a guy who would be rather obscure in, in the grand scheme of things. He played less than 100 games. I believe he played about 90 games as a member of the LA Kings. He scored one goal, which happened to come his first season. Um, he 
actually wore three numbers in L.A. Uh, for a guy who didn't play a lot of games, he, he certainly passed around the number wheel. He wore number 73, he wore number 13, and he wore number 29. Now, he was drafted in the fifth round back in 2002, so a couple years after Robert Long. Um, his last season, though, is the most interesting to me, which was the 2010-2011 season. Interesting, really, because of what happened at the very end of the season slash going into the playoffs there around the playoff time. So it was a tough time for the LA Kings heading into the 2011 playoffs there. Uh, Justin Williams had dislocated his shoulder near the end of the season. Kopitar uh, was out with surgery. And so things weren't looking good heading into the uh, playoff series against the San Jose Sharks. Then Jared Stoll ends up getting suspended for a game one hit on Ian Moore. And there was a lot of confusion uh, because of either salary cap or um, the, which, which players could be called up or could not be called mm-hmm. up based upon various CBA rules. And so the Kings first announced that John Zyler was being called up. Then, no, wait a minute, nope, they can't do that, so he's not being called up. Meanwhile, he's on a plane coming from Manchester, so he gets temporarily assigned to their AHL team in Ontario, uh, or excuse me, their ECHL team at the time in Ontario. This is a whole weird thing where he was called up, he wasn't called up, they were issuing press releases, and then they were recalling the press releases. It's just something that you don't <laughs> see very often. Uh, and, you know, we did see it. So uh, any, any memories uh, of that at all, uh, DB, or it didn't even register on your radar from that time period where the Kings were playing the Sharks? Well, I remember that was the, the, the uh, series where Joe Thornton celebrated on Staples Center. I think he scored the game winner in game six. But, you know, John, here's a little bit of trivia, though. John Zeiler. So John Zeiler's numbers predated both Tyler Toffoli and Kyle Clifford. He wore 73 before Toffoli, and he wore 13 before Clifford. How many players could you say did that for the franchise? Well, that is interesting. Yeah. So, so basically, what you're telling me is somebody of importance is about to wear number 29 because Zyler's just going to go for the hat trick. Then, so I don't know. Who, I, I don't know who that's going to be. Uh, by the way, I do want to follow up on one other numer- uh, numerology type number thing before we uh, jump ahead to to Kyle Clifford interview here, and that is um, I did some follow up research uh, again coming off the last episode. Blake Lazat's number in college, by the way, was uh, not number 26. He was number 27. And so there's an interesting little tidbit there. He could not wear number 27 when he came to L.A. uh, and made his debut at the beginning of last season because, of course, Alec Martinez was number 27. Martinez was traded to Vegas. That number is currently available. I am actually in the process right now of trying to connect and find out, does he have any interest in changing that number? Will he be moving over to 27, or is he comfortable with 46? Um, guys, Some guys have it, see it one way. Some guys see it the other way. You, you look at a guy like Gabe Velarde, had no ties to the number 42. He came on Kings of the Podcast recently and told us, hey, I, I like 42. It's a different number. It's a new number for me. I want to I make something of it in the NHL. And he told us he plans on keeping number 42 heading into next season. So uh, I will report back to everybody and let you know uh, what Blake Lazat's plans are. Will he be staying with 46 or will he be moving on to uh, number 27? Yeah. Is he superstitious? John, are you superstitious? Would you wear 13? I would have no problem with the number 13, but to me, that's a, it's a two-part question, though. Um, I am superstitious uh, in, in many, many ways. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So This um, is the okay. last minute of but, play in the period. Yeah, but I would have no problem with number 13. Uh, doesn't, 13. Okay. 13. 13 does not necessarily represent bad luck to me, and I don't know. Maybe that's just because of like punk, right. punk rock. It's like not... Um, it actually is a good number, so maybe that's it's just tricked my brain after all these years. I'm not sure, but um, I'm not as bad as Drew Doughty. You know, he has this whole thing with birds and stuff, and like uh, again, yeah. we'll, we'll save that for when Dewey comes on. How about this, DB? Let's uh, head to the break real quick, and uh, on the other side, uh, we will bring in Kyle Clifford returning for his actually it's his first visit into Kings of the Podcast returning, returning to Los Angeles. I never opened myself this way. Life is ours, we live it our way. Oh, 
second period. Joining the guys next is a player who was drafted in the second round of the 2009 NHL entry draft. He made his NHL debut before his 20th birthday, going straight from the OHL to the NHL starting lineup. He is a two-time Stanley Cup champion. He played 660 games in a Kings jersey, which is 12th most in franchise history. He's also one of the most beloved players ever in Los Angeles. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Kings of the Podcast, number 13, Kyle Clifford. That's right. Kings of the Podcast, welcome back for the second period. And joining us now, former member of the LA Kings, Kyle Clifford. Cliffy, I have to ask right off the hop, how weird does that sound, even now at this point, many months removed, to say former member of the LA Kings? Yeah, uh... Well, first off, thanks for having me on the show. But uh, yeah, when you say it, it's uh, it's got a different ring to it. Um, you know, you you spend ten years with a team, and you think uh, it's going to last forever. But um, at the same time, uh, you got to remind yourself sometimes it's a business, and you know, teams go through different uh, different transitions, and uh, you know, some of the some of the guys get shuffled out and and moved for for assets and. Um, you know, it's unfortunate, but it's it's what happened, and uh, no, I can't can't thank uh, you know the LA Kings enough for for what a great ten years that was for not only myself but my family as well. Well, we'll talk a lot about uh, your time here and also what you've been up to recently. But I have to ask right off the hop: just how's the family? How's Paige? The kids? Everybody? That's that's the most important thing, especially in the year twenty twenty. Yeah, no, yeah, twenty twenty's been crazy for everybody. Everybody's kind of got their story and. Um, you know, they're great. Uh, Brody's doing online school. So we're trying to just dial in routines with him. And, um, the other two are just, just busy beating the crap out of each other. So, um, Paige is just, you know, trying to get in between them all and, and keep the peace, but, uh, we're all doing good. You know, I planned on asking you this later in the interview, but we can just talk about it now since we're talking about the kids. One of the things that I always enjoyed was you bringing the kids into the locker room. And I'm just curious, as a guy who's very humble and and usually isn't, you know, pushing the envelope on things, at what point did you feel comfortable bringing the kids in the locker room? Was that something like you kind of just take a cue from some of the other guys who would do it and then you would follow? Or was that something that, you know, just happened organically? Yeah, it was it was actually a Daryl Sutter thing. Like he he loved when the the kids were around and the families were around, and um, he really uh, really preached. You know, guys with kids like bring them around, make sure that they're at the rink and and uh, seeing what their dad dad's doing. So uh, yeah, it, it was more uh, just Daryl really wanted them around. And I mean, obviously they at certain times, uh, you know, if we're on a five game skit, I'm not going to bring them for pregame skate, but. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, after games, after wins, uh, yeah, Daryl had no problem when the kids were in the locker room. So just anytime we won, I, I just went and grabbed the kids. And, um, you know, they always had a blast in there with, you know, whoever else's kids are in there, brownies or, um, you know, we had a ton of kids. So, uh, yeah, it just it turned into a shit show back there after when they'd just be 
throwing everything around, eating all the food and drinking Gatorade. <laughs> but it was it was great though, and and I think the thing that I always appreciated was the smile that it put on your face. I don't think I've ever seen you with a, a bigger smile than when you were parading the kids around. Yeah, that's it. Me and my wife always talk, and we're always like, you know, it's it's so great that they are able to see, you know, me in this environment um, because you know sometimes. Uh, guys have kids late and you know they're kind of at the tail end of their career where I'm kind of you know in the middle on on just getting over the hump and um you know my kids are old enough to to see everything and um you know we had the one cup party with Brody and we're able to get some pictures and things like that so um I just really see them enjoying taking it in and, and being a part of it and Brody gives me the stats every morning so he's like uh yeah, he's dialed in, so <laughs> I always know who's winning, who's losing, what's going on, and um, it's just fun to have them a part of it, and, um, you know, we're, we're creating some great memories moving forward. Now, I hope you don't mind me sharing this publicly. I mean, it's going to be too late. I guess I'll have to edit it out if you have a problem with it, but I remember that one of the things you told me, just to talk about how important the wives are, people always talk about, or players talk about the wives and what they do at home and taking care of the kids and everything else, but they are also uh, vested in your career as well and where you play and, and how you play and all that. Brownie talks about Nicole, you know, keeping him on the straight and narrow, but for you, during this free agency period that you were just going through, uh, Paige played, from what you were telling me, uh, in instrumental part in sort of selecting where you were going to go and how it all sort of played out yeah I, she she was always um you know through the whole process do it do what you think best for your career and um you know uh there was there was other offers with other teams i mean for more money longer term and uh but they weren't playoff teams and she was always she always kind of reminded me like why i'm doing this and um you know, I, I would feel like I'm selling myself short if I, you know, went to these other teams. Not that they, they aren't great organizations. They're just not in the, the win-now mode. And, um, so it was kind of it – was, it was good to have her there reminding me that. And, um, you know, she she wanted St. Louis just as much as I did because where they are in, in, in their, uh, you know, in their timeline. They're, they're in a win-now mode. And, um, you know, for the family part of it, it was, uh, it was, it, it's a great family town. Um, I was able to talk to, to Braden Shen before, uh, I signed and, uh, yeah, he, he just told me how many guys have kids and you know, how great the schools are and set up and, you know, how great the guys are and the team and everything. So, um, you know, it was, it wasn't that Paige had a huge decision in it, but she was definitely reminding me, you know, why, why I'm doing it. And, um, you know, it was my first time going through free agency, so it was a, it was a bit of an eye opener, and um, you know, it was a grueling couple of days. But uh, you know, I, I think uh, all the guys that have kids, they they have a rock star at their side to, to help them, you know, make tough decisions and and get through tough times. And um, you know, I was, I was thankful she was there for for that. Yeah, for sure. Now, you know, Cliffy, you and I go back more than 10 years. Hell, I met you probably when you were a kid yourself. You were a teenager, which is crazy, crazy enough to think about it. Um, we go back over 10 years. You were one of the players, really, that I that I first started forming a relationship with, I think, inside the Kings locker room. And we're going to talk about some of the 
the time, some of the some of the conversations and the chats that we've had through the years. But how about a little bit of trivia that, that ties back to you signing in St. Louis? Here's a little nugget for you. Now, you broke into the NHL. You played on the fourth line. Then you played on the third line. And then eventually, Terry Murray promoted you to play on the second line. You were going to play with Dustin Brown and Michael Hanzus in that game. It happened to be your 20th birthday. I probably have already given it away. But do you remember who you played against that night? Uh, my guess would be St. Louis. <laughs> it was, yeah, there you go. It was, it was St. Louis. You played against the Blues, yeah. so that's a little weird thing. You also mentioned, yeah. um, you mentioned uh, Braden Shin there, who really yeah. all the headlines coming into the camp that you ended up making the team. Everybody was talking about Braden Shin, uh, possibly you know, possibly making the team, and then you you kind of I don't want to say you stole his uh, roster spot, but you you ended up making the team. Um. There's some other weird trivia that ties back to what's been going on in your life recently, or, or sort of, and that is that uh, when you scored your first goal, which was against Calgary, it was assisted by Wayne Simmons, and now you see Simmons signing in Toronto. I'm just curious, have you had a chance to talk with Simmer at all since he signed the deal in Toronto? No, I haven't, but uh, you know he's going to be a great fit there. They're going to love him. Um, you know, we, we know Simmer very well, and... Uh, you know, he's a character guy that, that's got a lot of game left in him. And, I mean, he can still play. And uh, he'll be a fan favorite there. So for, I'm, I'm just really happy for him. And it's going to be a good fit for him. Now, you see all these guys that are, you know, from the greater Toronto area. And now they are, um, you know, signing there. You know, um, I'm curious what the experience was like for you. Uh, minus the bubble. We'll get to that a little bit later. But just the pressure that comes with playing in Toronto can you speak to that at all? There's, there's a ton of media attention, and that's what um, kind of opened my eyes a little bit. And I mean, quite honestly, I was there for, for a month, and then COVID happened, so I, I didn't get the full taste of it. But, uh, you know, when, you, when you're doing interviews, you have to do two sets of interviews. you got to do it with, uh, you know, Sports Center and, and what's the other one, TSN. So <laughs> you don't do them at the same time. You do the exact same interviews back-to-back with different networks, Um and there's just the, the amount of media and coverage they get. It's, it's crazy, but uh, I, I personally didn't feel the pressure. I could imagine if you're a high draft pick and a young kid, I could I could see how it gets to you, especially nowadays with social media the way it is. When I broke into the league, it was, it was nowhere near where it is now. So, um, yeah, they, they just get a ton of attention and um, – I, I, I didn't feel the pressure of the short period. Maybe I would have felt it if I was there longer, but uh, yeah. Well, but also, I mean, in, in fairness, you're, you're sort of a grizzled vet at this point. Imagine being 18 years old trying to break into the league, like you said, uh, those yeah. early days, pre-cup days. I mean, you have two cup rings, so it's it's a little yeah. different. But back in the day when you were coming fresh out of the OHL, I, I mean, geez, that would have been insane, I would, I would imagine. Um, yeah, yeah. So a guy like, yeah, like Luke Shen, like, I mean, he was a fifth overall draft pick. He was supposed to be the savior. I mean, I, I couldn't even imagine. But, uh, you know, I, I thought Luke did a very good job of handling it. And, you know, he, he's obviously a true pro. And obviously, you see him win a cup this year. So it's good to see. Let's, uh, again, let's let's real quickly, I guess, stay on topic instead of jumping to it later. The bubble. Um that's that was just a crazy a crazy time period uh, for for the NHL. Just any thoughts about what happened over the over the summer? Yeah, I mean, kudos to, to them. They they, uh, they did a great job. They they tried to make it as as smooth and transitionless as, as possible. And um, you know, I I thought they put on a, a really good show. And you know, they had it organized well. They had restaurants and 
and all things like that. Um, you know, again, it was short lived, unfortunately for, for Toronto. And, you know, I wish we were able to make a deeper push, but, um, yeah, we, we weren't there that long. And I mean, I'm sure like Dallas and, and, uh, Tampa and those teams, it, it, it probably got to be a bit of a grind near the end there. Cause I don't think there was too many families that, that, that ended up coming in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Okay, let's go back in time. You're drafted by Los Angeles. You came to development camp. You uh, later on, a couple months later, Mark Hardy the, in Los Angeles at the time said that you were the MVP of rookie camp. You and I talked about that ten years ago. Um, but when you think back on it now, and and having gone through as many camps and 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 to see all these kids that come in every year, you know the fresh crop of of players. Is it a little bit surreal that here you are, fresh out of the OHL, coming in, you know, fresh off of being drafted a couple months prior, and he says you're the MVP of rookie camp, especially in that series against against Phoenix? Can you even remember your thought process at the time? Uh, yeah, so I, I remember, I mean, getting drafted, and my, my whole mindset was, like, you know, I, I got to get my foot in the door. Like, I know I'm a draft pick, but I, it's not enough, and I got to, you know, continue to show that I can improve and, and be a consistent NHL player. And, um, you know, I, I really pride myself on being the most physically prepared fit player. And I knew there was going to be a lot of things I had to learn, but it, the physical, you know, readiness, as far as getting my body ready, uh, I wasn't going to leave anything on the table there. And, um, you know, the, and then the mental part, I, I had to get games in and, you know, be a part of the game to, to learn that aspect. So I just wanted to be as ready as possible coming into camp. And, uh, you know, I, I thought I did a pretty good job of that. And I really took a lot of pride in it. Who told you that you were being cut or that you were going back to the OHL? Do you remember that conversation at all? Yeah, that was, uh, it was Terry Murray. Um, he, he just pulled me in, in his office and, you know, I had, I had a good 15 minute meeting with him. And then I went up and talked to Dean for about an hour and, <laughs> Um, yeah. No, you didn't talk to Dean. You listened yeah, for an Dean hour. Talked, <laughs> yeah, Dean talked to me for an hour, <laughs> which is yeah, it's so true. But uh, I really took it all in. I mean, and Dean, uh, he loves to preach and teach, and uh, you know, I, I thank all the guys that that stayed around for all those years and those those really good years. They they really uh, you know listened to what Dean had to say and. Um, yeah, so I mean, I went up there, talked to Dean, and you know, it was, it was more discussions on what I got to do to to be ready for next year and how I got to approach the year moving forward in Barry, and um, lots of really good conversations. Now, look, Cliffy, in those early days, I uh, wrote a lot of articles and tried to remind everybody things like your nickname, the Colonel, and things like that. But I want to make sure that people listening right now understand how good you were. When you went back to the Ontario League, when you went back to Barrie, you had a great season. You put up 57 points in 58 games. That included 28 goals. Of course, you had 110-plus penalty minutes that year. But here's the deal. In the annual OHL coaches poll, which is a pretty big deal, that spring, you were voted the best defensive forward in the Eastern Conference and second in the hardest worker category. So you went back and you were highly motivated to put up another good year and then to try to get your way back, I guess, to, to your point, to get your foot in the door with an NHL club. That was a pretty solid season. What do you take away from that, that final year there in Barry? Yeah, that, that was basically the conversation with Dean after getting cut is like, look, you did good in camp. You made it to be the last cut, but don't rest on your morals and I mean, I really took that to heart. And um, like I said, I always pride myself on work. And, um, 
and then uh, as well being a, a really good defensive player and um you know i i knew i was going to be in a bottom six role with la probably and um you know don't get scored on is uh you know the daryl sutter mind, mindset uh if you're in the bottom six so um yeah just just uh really really had a good year and i mean we had a great group of guys in barry I, I think you know out of the 20 guys 17 were drafted or any, on nhl contracts so it, it, we had a lot of fun that year and um yeah well, here's another thing, Cliffy. Again, pumping your tires and making sure that everybody knows how good you were as a player. That summer, following that season, you ended up going to Team Canada's uh, summer evaluation camp. And anybody who follows Mayor's Manor, anybody who follows me online on Twitter, knows how much I love World Juniors. Kyle Clifford was at Team Canada evaluation camp. Do you sit back sometimes and scratch your head and say, wow, that's pretty crazy? Yeah, it was um, It was a good experience. And, uh, you know, I be honest my whole mindset was to make the king so i didn't put a whole bunch of stock into it but um cliffy you know i, I want to go out there you and, went out and scored yeah. a goal had a couple assists you you were you had a very solid camp for team canada <laughs> yeah well yeah and that's the thing it was uh it was a good measurement going forward uh to be in in the nhl i mean you're with canada's top group of uh young canadians and i mean there was a a ton of guys that had, you know, way more skill than me, but, uh, you know, my mindset was just to outwork them and, and, uh, you know, play my hardest out there. This is also when I got, I would say the first taste of, of what a great teammate you were. You're not going to remember this, but you and I talked a couple hours after you got home and it was a crazy adventure to come home from that camp. You'll remember that part because I think you, you had to sleep in the uh, airport for about 14 hours, if I remember correctly. But the part you, the part you won't remember is, uh, I was asking you about the other Kings prospects. There were six Kings prospects that went to Team Canada uh, camp that year, and, and you were giving me the rundown and the scouting report on Toffoli and Lyndon Bay and all these guys. But there was also the day away from the rink where you guys went out on a boat, and one of the Kings prospects ended up puking. He was the only one out of the entire group, if I remember correctly, uh, out of the entire camp that ended up having, getting seasick, but you wouldn't give it up. You wouldn't tell me who, who that player was because he was your teammate and you said you wanted to, uh, to respect that. Do, do you even remember that conversation? Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. And I, I mean, uh, yeah, he, he was my teammate, so I didn't want to put that out there. And, um, yeah, so I felt <laughs> we, we, bad. Kid. I mean, I, I, and to be honest, like I, I think 90% of the guys that were on that boat were ready to puke too. We, uh, we all had lobster before. And oh, just, I mean, we, we, we were out in the ocean whale watching. So, um, yeah, it, it was a grind. Well, of course, in true mayor fashion. Later, we did get the answer. We just didn't end up getting it from you. Uh, the player came clean. That was a lot of fun, though. Um, you ended up uh, spending quite a bit of time in Los Angeles. Uh, many different line mates, many different teammates uh, through the years. But uh, let's just let's just pick on a couple of them. We had Colin Frazier on the show. He was your roommate. Just uh, any key memories from your time with Fraz? Um, yeah, Fraz is. I mean, he was probably in, in my top five favorite teammates in, in LA, and um, you know, just always came to the rink with a great attitude and. Uh, you know, much like me, just worked hard, grinded, not overly skilled. And um, it's it just just funny, like any time we'd like, one of us would be open in the slot, I'd, I'd, I'd lean over like, did you see me there, Fraz? He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, just easy play, easy play. <laughs> then be vice versa. Like just trying to keep it simple out there with him. And, uh, you know, a lot of good memories with him. And 
Um, you know, can't say enough about the guy. Uh, he uh, he kind of took me under his wing a little bit, and you know, just just helped me mentally and with with my game. And you know, obviously, he was coming fresh off the Stanley Cup two years before, so uh, just a lot of help. And um, you know, just just enjoyed my time with him. I think it was actually Trevor Lewis who was your roommate, and Louis was on the show uh, recently as well. Any any key memories from from playing with him? Yeah, I mean, we always had a couple of good laughs. They usually involved, uh, you know, a few bottles of beer, but um, <laughs> so not many that I, I probably want to share on the open air. But uh, you know, just just again, another another great guy. And, um, you know, he was my roommate when I was nineteen, so he he definitely uh, he helped me a lot and just kind of you know helped me give me that pro mindset and um, just a guy that works his nuts off and, and comes to the rink every day with with the right attitude. Andre Kopitar is a player that other players in the room just marvel at. They wish they had the skill that that Kopi has. Just uh, when you when you remember your playing time with Kopi and just spending time with him, anything stand out? Yeah, I remember one time I got a like a shift with him with Daryl. I don't know the lines got all screwed up, and uh, Kopi was coming over the the blue line with the puck, and I was I was just like, oh, I'm playing with Kopi. I got to get to the net like full drive mode. And Kopi cut across the blue line, and I absolutely blew him up. It was like my biggest hit of the year. <laughs> and I get back to the bench, and I'm like, I'm never playing with Kopi again. <laughs> what did Daryl say? Uh, yeah, he, I think he gave me a pat on the back. For that <laughs> there you go. Now, um, I don't know if you're going to believe this or not. Uh, I, I need to eventually get around to posting the article, but um, earlier this year, uh Dowdy told me that Brownie is turning into quite the chirper, which is very funny uh, on the surface because Brown has always been sort of under the radar funny, but he's also like the tech nerd on the team too. So what do you make of Dowdy saying that Brownie's turning into quite the chirper? Can you believe that? Yeah. Uh, Brownie's kind of come in full circle, like just got a new outlook on, uh, you know, just, just his, his attitude. Cause you know what? He, he had to carry the brunt of the load. He was, he was the captain and, uh, you know, when, when you're winning, things are great, but when you're losing, you, you kind of carry that load around and, um, you know, and, and he was an outstanding captain, but, uh, you know, in recent years, he, he's just, he's found, uh, you know, a real good sense of humor and, um, you know, it's, he's good for a laugh probably every other day now where before, like, you'd be lucky to get a couple of words out of him. Um, so it's, it's uh, the guys are having a lot of fun with it. Uh, yeah, no, he's 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 awesome. Now, two guys that were always fun: Willie Mitchell and Matt Green. Who do you, who do you want to yeah. take on first? Uh, yeah, I mean they're both uh, yeah world class guys, but uh, yeah, they got a real sense of humor and um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't have any crazy stories to share with you because there's probably too many, but. Uh, yeah, they're they're both probably two of the funniest guys I've ever played with, and um, really quick on their feet and quick witted, and you never really want to get in a, an argument 
argument with them because you know you're going to lose. And so you just kind of keep your mouth shut. Yeah, but they're also very different because Matt Green is kind of the king of one-liners. Like, like he can cut you down in about three words, where Willie Mitchell, yeah. you ask him what time it is, he's going to tell you how to build a watch. I always wanted to see, you know, like these presidential debates that are going on. I'd love to see a debate between Lombardi and Willie Mitchell because I don't know who would be able to actually get to answer a question because whoever went first would just take up all the time. Yeah, there. That would be uh, that would be right up there with the last debate of Trump and, and Biden. So <laughs> <laughs> it would be great. Uh, well, definitely, definitely two smarter people for sure than than uh, Trump and Biden. But uh, yeah, there would there would be some good laughs. Well, both of them have an open invitation to come on to the program. The problem is nobody can find Willie. He's out on a fishing boat somewhere, and Dean seems to be holed up on a farm uh, somewhere writing a book, allegedly, so we can't get a hold of either of these guys, but at some point we'll have to get them on the podcast. Uh, the coaches, Terry Murray and Daryl Sutter, you, you've mentioned both of their names. Just uh, any memories of Terry and just what it was like coming into the NHL and having to learn from a guy who's known for being such a good teacher? Yeah, he was... Uh... Terry was very active and old, so um, you know I felt like a, a lot of our guys that were that were young when we came up in in uh, you know those first couple of years really got the structure part of our game from from Terry and uh, you know it was, it was I, most of us only got a year or two with him but uh, it was a really good experience and you know he's been around the game a long time so um, you know I thought he did an outstanding job with with uh, kind of getting our our structure game of our you know, the way we played and, um, you know, he, he was definitely a part of those, uh, those two cup runs. And, and what about Daryl? When's the last time you talked to Daryl? Uh, after the trade, he, he sent me a text and just, you know, want to congratulate me. And, um, yeah, with, with Daryl, you know, he, he knew the right buttons to push with, with every player and, and, um, you know, just a, a, another guy that, that like, if, if he wasn't behind the bench, there's there's no way we wouldn't have had that team that we had. Um, really knew how to motivate certain individuals, and um, not like probably at the time you didn't really like it, but looking back now, uh, you know I got a tremendous amount of respect for for what he did for me, and and uh, you know I, I I know every other guy that was that was in that that locker room would say the exact same thing. Um, yeah, we, we one guy we couldn't have done it without. Yeah, it's funny because I was talking to Dowdy earlier this year and, and he said something very similar. He's like, you know what? I really hated him at times when he was here, but looking back on it now, like I just have such tremendous respect for Daryl. He said, I, I kind of even miss him sometimes, which I thought was, was interesting. Now, there's another coach... Uh, that was connected to the LA Kings that most people wouldn't expect you to be connected to at all because you never played for him really. Uh, but Mike Stuthers, who was the coach in Ontario, from what I understand, you guys used to spend quite a bit of time together at TSC, uh, you know, whether it was in the gym and talking or whatever, and just uh, anything you want to share about, about Stutz. Yeah, Stutz, Stutz is awesome. And I, well, I, I got a little bit of time during a conditioning stint with him and, um, yeah, we Louie and I would always be the first ones up in the gym, and we'd be stretching, and and Stutz knew it, so he he'd kind of roll up like a, a half an hour before the rest of the guys would roll in, and he'd just sit there and shoot the shit with us, and um, it, it would be funny. He'd he'd be up there complaining about some of his players, and um, you know, Louie and always Louie and I always had good laughs, and um, yeah, another guy that I, I I can't say enough. I didn't I didn't get a lot of time with him playing for him, but uh, I knew him really well. And, enjoyed my time with him 
Yeah. Uh, you know, you did play in for the Ontario Reign, but not the AHL. Really, well, I guess besides the conditioning stand, I don't really count that, Cliffy. But you, yeah. you suited up with the Ontario Reign, the ECHL version, during the 2012 lockout. And you have probably the, I would have to go back and check the stats. You might be the only guy who's ever played in the outdoor winter classic and the indoor winter classic. Do you remember that game in Vegas when you were with the rain and the snow was coming down inside the arena? Yeah. So yeah, we get to, we get to Vegas and all the guys are raving. We got, we got an outdoor game. We got an outdoor game. <laughs> Like we're we're in Vegas, we're this is the East Coast. <laughs> where where are we having an outdoor game here? So I get there and we're doing warm ups, and they got the Zamboni door open and all the doors to the outside, and they're like they're advertising this as an outdoor game. I'm like only in the East Coast. It was it was great. It was great. It was great. Uh, I had the privilege of watching you in three different buildings. Uh, covered you in Ontario. Covered you in Vegas, and then also uh, made the trip up to Baco to see you play there as well. So uh, there was, it was a, lo- a lot of travels, Cliffy. You weren't the only one that was. You know, I wasn't riding the bus. I had a more comfortable ride. But man, yeah. uh, that was that was quite the experience with you being in the East Coast League for a couple of months. Now at the end of that, the NHL lockout did end, and uh, we had. Uh, Kevin Westgarth on the show previously, another beauty. And I don't know if you even know this, but Westy was traded on your birthday. We mentioned something else that happened on your birthday earlier. A lot of things going down on January 13th, Cliffy, but yeah. Westy was traded on your birthday coming out of the uh, out of the lockout. So just after you guys won the cup, everybody's getting ready to return to play. And then Westy is shipped off to Carolina. Um, I, I've, of course, told the story many, many times about the, the first hat trick bet between you and Westy, which was great. Uh, you won, by the way. I'm sure you remember that. Cool. Let's clarify here. Gordy Howe hat trick. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, the first Gordy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, neither of us are getting a hat trick. <laughs> yes, the first, the first Gordy Howe hat trick. Excuse me. Uh, God, if I'm going to tell my own story, I might as well tell it right. But where I was going with that was just Kevin Westgarth. Um, any any memory? I was probably a million, of course. But just what do you, when you think back, especially now when you think about Westy working for the league office, I mean, you have to get a chuckle out of it. But what what do you what do you take away from your your time with Westgarth uh, in Los Angeles? Yeah, I mean he was he was tough as nails, and I mean he'd fight anybody. So uh, always enjoyed watching his fights. And um, what a lot of people don't know about him is, is how smart he is. I mean, he went to uh, what was the school Prince, he went Princeton. to? Princeton, yeah. And uh, so there's 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 no surprise in seeing him him work for the league. And I mean, he's a guy that's only going to continue to work his way up uh, up the ladder with with the NHLPA. So. Um, if there's a guy you want uh, want helping us in, on the NHLPA side, it, it would be Kevin Westgarth. Now, Cliffy, uh, thank you very much for your time. We could talk to you for hours. Great stories, share memories, talk about the future. Uh, just two final ones then to wrap up. You came back to Los Angeles right before COVID hit. You mentioned that, uh, but when you were with Toronto, and just what was that experience like for you coming back to Los Angeles in another jersey? How awkward, how weird was it, or, or was it at that point you were just like, yeah, whatever, it is what it is? Yeah, I mean, it was it was weird. You're you're on the other side of it. And, I mean, I always thought I'd be a guy that would be able to, you know, finish out my career in LA. But I mean, unfortunately, where the the direction of the team went, um, you know, Rob Rob Blake did the right thing in, in making changes. And um, so yeah, it, it was it was a weird experience. But once you get playing, it it is what it is. And um, you know, you're an NHL professional. You, you know that uh, you know one day you can be traded and um, you know, when I just look at it and, and, and thankful that I had, uh, you know, 10 great years with, 
you know, with lots of lots of great guys, and obviously we'll we'll be bonded together for life with those two championships. So, and and then the final question, just Cliffy, is uh, besides the two cups, which are you know, of course, you know, the pinnacle of everything. But what's your best memory when you think back about your time in Los Angeles? Cool. Yeah, that's just that's a tough one. Um, yeah, just like I mean, the two cups are obviously no question. But, uh, you know, honestly, we just had such a good group of guys. Like, I mean, some of the best memories were not even had at the rink. It wasn't even a hockey memory. It'd be us playing volleyball in the summertime, and we'd have, like, 15 guys from the team there. Like, no other team did that and had that type of setup. And, um, you know, we had a lot of great leaders that just brought us together off the rink. And um, so that's what I'm going to look back and and really enjoy it. because um, at the end of the day, you're not going to remember that you lost seven two to Carolina on December fifteenth or anything like that, or had a blowout win or anything like that. It was just it was just such a good group of guys, and um, you know I, we're all still real close. And you know I'm hoping to get down to L, down to LA one day and and revisit them and get on the beach with them and and uh, you know make some more memories. Well, Cliffy, I've said this many times. If I had to list the three people in hockey that I respect the most, you would be among the three. I thank you so much for joining us today. I thank you for uh, all the conversations through the years. It was awkward when you came back in a Toronto Maple Leafs jersey. It's going to be equally as awkward when you return in a St. Louis Blues jersey. But uh, like always, I'll, I'll be happy to see you. Can't wait to see you. All the best to you and Paige and the kids. Enjoy uh, the rest of this offseason. And hopefully we'll see you back here at the start of the year uh, on the ice again. And uh, best of luck in St. Louis. Thanks for the time, John. Always appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you around. All right, there you go. Kyle Clifford of the St. Louis Blues. We'll be back after the break to talk more about it. Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. Uh, you, you just It doesn't get any better than Kyle Clifford. And uh, thank you, first of all, though, we have to just say uh, a big, huge thank you to Dave Joseph, one of our good friends, one of the founding fa- fathers, founding members of the Four Horsemen here in Los Angeles. Uh, just did an awesome intro there for Cliffy. Really appreciate him doing that. And then great stuff from Kyle himself. Uh, you know, really opened up, talked a lot about his, his time in L.A. and his brief time in Toronto. And then uh, looking ahead for, for his time the next couple of years uh, for him and the family in, in St. Louis. So we wish him nothing but the best, but it was great to to have him on here uh, on Kings of the Podcast. Yeah, you know, John, um, I, I was traveling uh, when you we, we scheduled Cliffy, and I just, even if I wasn't traveling, to be totally frank, I, I think that the relationship between you and Cliff, um, uh, even if I was here in L.A., I would have preferred you to go one-on-one with Cliff. I think it's one of those rare times where a player and a media person are really that respectful to each other and some great relationship. I, I always remember, John, the, um, the article you wrote about Cliff, um, about how important he was to the uh, Kings, it was a couple of seasons ago when there was trade rooms around them. And I'll never forget the image of when we went, right? He came out of the locker room right after you published it, and he gave this gigantic bear hop that probably broke a couple of your ribs. But <laughs> I just think it was really appropriate that, that 
that you and Cliffy went one-on-one because of of the relationship that's grown between you two over the years. Well, I, I have tremendous respect. Thank you, by the way, and I, I do. I have yeah. tremendous respect for him, and uh, th- this show, Kings of the Podcast, is a true partnership between the two of us, and, uh, you know, it was unfortunate that due to travel reasons you weren't able yeah. to to join us for that particular portion of the interview, but uh, thank you for that. I, I just I had a great sure. time. It was great catching up with him, you know, over the phone after exchanging a lot of text messages here over the last couple of months, and so it's been it's been nice to, uh, to, to reconnect with him and, and hear that he's happy and know that the family's good and they're in a good place and uh, like I said earlier wish them nothing but the best it is interesting that he signed with the Western Conference team so that he does have to face the Kings a a few more times than perhaps if he was uh, over in the Eastern Conference then again we don't even know what's going to happen with the schedule DB Uh, it's 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 craziness right now but um I want to talk a little bit about the schedule and, and, and how that sets up, but I do want to encourage everybody as well, uh, before we get to our Twitter polls, not to be confused, there is a jersey poll on mayorsmanor.com right now. Uh, it's going to be sort of a three-part series. The first part was we were introducing you to the retro jerseys that are coming out across the National Hockey League for next season. We went into sort of a detailed uh, explanation, provided some background stories, some context into how the Kings might be thinking uh, regarding their new jersey, which, as I told you on the last episode, is expected to have a lot of purple. And in the second uh, article, we put up a poll with four jerseys to get some fan feedback. And the uh, third article, which is about to drop, probably will by the time this podcast posts, um, will have what we believe to be the, the actual jersey itself. So uh, there's go check that out. It's on mayorsmanor.com. Uh, we'll get to the Twitter polls, which is something completely different in a moment. But first, speaking of uh, schedules, uh, DB, there are five LA Kings prospects that are over in Germany right now. We've been talking about them. Jacob Ingham, the goaltender, along with the Keel Thomas, Tyler Madden, uh, Aiden Dudas, and Alex Turcott. A little bit of news to report. Um, it appears that Tyler Madden uh, has possibly broken a finger. It could be a sprain, could be a break. Uh, I'm not exactly sure at this point, but from what I understand, he is going to be returning to Los Angeles to get that looked at, uh, to get it set. I don't know, uh, but just really to get it evaluated. And there's some question marks right now. He, he may, in fact, actually be returning to Germany at some point because the um, the, the, the German league, uh, well, more specifically Berlin, they have scheduled a, a little tournament with about six or eight other teams that they're going to participate in in early November. So coming up in about maybe two or three weeks. And um, there's been some, some question marks about will, will, will the kids be coming back or are they going to stay over there? Mm-hmm. It sounds like they're going to stay over there and play in this tournament. And so if Madden is able to, uh, he's going to return. But there's some, a little bit of concern because it's the same finger from what I understand, perhaps that he broke um, at the end of his college season so we'll have to get more detailed uh, reports it's weird db um you know i know it's in europe and like but this isn't the old days like we have phones now we have the internet and <laughs> I we, know. You know, we have international calling plans but it's the strangest <laughs> thing getting getting information uh right now is is just very tight so uh we will we we certainly wish tyler madden all the best we'll be talking to some of those other sure. kids soon um but here's an interesting thing the nhl has approved and this is adding to the complexity of scheduling the nhl from what i understand dennis has approved two extra weeks of camp for yeah. the seven teams that were not part of return to play so that would include the kings the ducks the sharks and so on the question is when do those two uh, weeks of camp actually take place? Is it now or is it in the month of December? Is it the two weeks immediately preceding training camp? And when is training camp going to take place based upon, well, if the season starts January 1st, plus you have a break because of Christmas and New Year's, is the season going to start in mid to late January? Does training camp then start at the beginning of the year? A lot of question marks uh, right now, DB. But this also, to me, 
sort of ties back to World Juniors as well because right. the World Junior Tournament is scheduled to begin on Christmas Day and the training camps, or excuse me, the evaluation camps are typically scheduled uh, to start in, in the early part of December. So they have a little evaluation camp period, make the final cuts to the roster, then they play, uh, most teams play two exhibition games heading into a couple-day break and then the tournament starts. So you also have to wonder, you know, when are those two-week camps for NHL teams going to be scheduled because certain uh, NHL teams will want their players to be part of those training camps rather than at the World Juniors, although from a big-picture standpoint, they do want their players to be involved in the World Juniors. So I take a player like Alex Turcotte, for example. The Kings want Turcotte in in a best-case scenario, perfect world. They want him and Kaliev to do everything, right? So they want him to participate in the evaluation camp. They want them to participate in the World Juniors. And they also want them to participate in the extra weeks of camp as well as Kings training camp. So you're going to have to sort of get all of that stuff to line up perfectly. And uh, we have more questions today than we do do answers uh, at this point. Yeah, well, if I was the league, what I would do is I would let the teams decide when they want to schedule them, right? Because they're okay. really behind the eight ball because they haven't played since March. So if if you don't want it to interfere with the juniors, then you do it later. If you don't care and you want to do it now, because I think you'd also think in a, some teams I would think would want like the NFL where they have the OTA, the off-season training mm-hmm. activities, and, and do that because you've been away from each other. The other factor, John, is that can you get on the ice can you gather your team in certain jurisdictions? You, I don't think in L.A. I don't think you can even do without. So maybe the Kings would have to go to like Lake Placid or somewhere or Colorado or somewhere where they have some relationships, you know, with the Marine or something like that. That's the other thing. And the, the third factor is with respect to scheduling. And Toronto Sun reported, I'm not sure how much legs this has, but there's some thinking by the Canadian government that they may waive this 14-day quarantine that I have to go – under when I went to the cup <laughs> final and uh, they may have to wait it because of the rapid testing going on right now. They may lean towards having people come off international flights, rapid test them, and then waive the 14 day quarantine. They may have to get retested in seven days, but the sun, if, if that's the case, then the start of doing a Canadian division, you know, might be scrapped. I mean, I'm not sure where this is going to lead, but at least that's some good signs that a good sign that we might have some more normalcy with respect to uh, next season. Yeah, there are three sheets of ice at TSPC, so they could schedule, I would imagine, with multiple locker rooms. They could schedule, uh, you know, different practice times or whatever. But I do want to go back to the point you just mentioned um, about the airports. Here's a story that has not really talked about, not uh, had a lot of legs to it. Do you know that over in Finland, this is a true story, by the way, DB. Do you know that in Finland they have uh, these dog sniffing uh, yeah. uh Dogs at the fin- dogs. yeah that sniff out COVID and they have like a ninety nine point something success rate. I don't understand how it works, but the the COVID sniffing dogs, right? So I mean, there you go. Just uh, let's get those at all the NHL arenas and let's let's get the fans back in the building and uh, at least let's get them at the practice facilities and get these things opened up and let the players get back. You know, the scheduling also is a, a little bit of a concern that I have, DB, because. I think that the Canadian and the U.S. teams, as, as of right now, are going to be at a disadvantage heading into the World Juniors because normally right. all the leagues around the world are playing competitive playing. hockey in mm-hmm. season. Sure. And so when they all convene at their, at their national evaluation camps mm-hmm. in early December, the, team, the, the, the players have been playing for a couple of months, and that's not the case right now. You have all of the teams in Europe, or the majority of teams in Europe, playing competitive games. However, 
the U.S. colleges haven't started up yet. There's talk they're going to get going in a couple of weeks, so maybe that changes. Uh, we still don't uh, have, we will not have anything going on with Canadian juniors. That's scheduled to resume in the Western Hockey League after World Juniors. That has a January start, right. and the OHL is a complete sure. mess. Don't even get me started there. My point is, some of these players will not have played for six-plus months. This is, I mean, you can go to training camp all you want. There's something to be said for playing competitive hockey coming into the biggest and the most important tournament for that age group of players. I do believe at this point in time, unless something radical changes, I think the U.S. and Canada go into the tournament at a distinct disadvantage. Yeah, they're at a competitive disadvantage. They're also, you got to figure the injury factor is going to be greater for those teams because they're not going to have a full training camp. They wouldn't have been playing. They're going from zero to 60, and when that happens, you saw it in the, in the postseason as well. And with respect to the Stanley Cup playoffs, you had a significant amount of injury. So that's the other thing you got to keep aware of as well. Yeah, the IIHF, who uh, is the governing body over the World Juniors, they also uh, recently announced that they are going to expand the rosters by, I think, two or three players for this year's tournament. Yeah, so smart. Very smart, right? Very smart. All right, let's move on. Uh, let's do some Twitter polls. Our fans have weighed in, and uh, they wanted to share their opinions. On the last episode, we went through the first three of seven, so now we'll do the remaining four questions. Question number four, DB, what are you expecting in goal? Who gets the majority of starts next season for the LA Kings? We had three possible answers. You had Jonathan Quick starts 60 percent of the games quick and Peterson split 50 50 and Cal Peterson starts 65 percent of the games I was actually surprised 20 percent nearly 20 percent of the people said Cal Peterson would get the bulk of the starts that's I mean 20 percent is a pretty healthy number uh that's really not the plan going in uh Jonathan Quick and Cal Peterson splitting the net 50 50 received 55 percent of the vote and that tends to be the uh, conventional wisdom heading into the season any surprises in how people voted in this one yeah, I'm surprised at the 20% because you figure the only way that would happen is, A, a quick injury, which no one wants to see, or Cal starts the season, gets on a on a heater, and he's you know won six or seven in a row. But, yeah, I, I voted with most of the fans. I think it's a 50-50 split. I think that's the smart thing to do right now. Not only that, DB, but in this, what we hear is going to be a compressed schedule for next season, probably somewhere right, around exactly. 60 games. You, you're going to feature more back-to-backs. And, uh, you know, when you have more back-to-back games, just, you know, Theoretically, there are going to be more uh, splits in the starts. So there you go. Uh, I'm not sure how Jonathan Quick voted in that poll, and we'll have to check and see how Cal <laughs> Peterson voted. But 55% did say there would be a split. Uh, 26% said that Quickie would get 65% of the starts. And so we'll, we'll see what Todd thinks. Um, next question, question number five. This is, of the players listed, who will have the most points next season? And for the players listed, we had Alex Iafalo, Martin Furk, Adrian Kempe and Drew Doughty. Now, some people might be saying, why do you have three forwards and one defenseman in there? And that's because Doughty is typically up near the top of the point producers the last couple of years for the LA Kings. Uh, so he was included in that group. However, people still believe that Alex Iafalo is going to have the most points of all of these people. So he received 37% of the votes. And from there, things were fairly well split. Doughty was at 27%. Kempe was at 21%. Martin Furk only received 14%. I think that's about fair. I think it's a, a little bit of a stretch if you think that Martin Furk is going to have more points than anybody. I mean, he can go crazy, right? But I think it's a little bit of a stretch to think that he would have more points than any of the other three guys mentioned. Yeah, but I want the guy making $11 million this year to have the, the second most points. That's, 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 I want him to score the most points. Kopitar, Dowdy, that's what I want. I want the offense. Because, John, if, if he doesn't produce, then I don't know. I don't know what they're going to get scoring on the blue line. So, uh, but And the one thing about that is if, if he were to do that, um, and I follow doesn't regress uh, because he had a real, you know, John, Alex I follow had a really solid season. It really did. And with no, 
like unless Kaliev really emerges here and plays on the left side, like if they ever found uh, a Taylor Hall like player that could produce at a left wing, to have Ayafalo as a second line center producing those numbers would be great. It's just not enough for a first line center. So I just, I just, you know me, I, I've said this for the last couple of months. I'm probably the most critical guy when it comes to Danny. I'd really like to see him have an explosive offensive year. Whether he does it or not, I'm not really sure. Okay. Well, I would add to that by saying a few things. Number one, you don't need Drew Doughty to be the most offensive player. Any offense he gives you is going to be an extra. It's going to be a bonus. And that's great when he gets back to sort of that Norris level and all that sort of stuff. But you really need, from a defensive grouping perspective, you need the rest of the defensemen to more than hold their own and, and to be a solid group there. Offensively, when you look at those other three players, Alex Iafalo's point total, DB, if I remember correctly, it's like 25, 35, 45, somewhere in that ballpark. Right. So he's increased yes. every year by Agreed. about 10 points. Yes. And the 45 or so points from this last season would be in 70 games. So he missed about 10 games, pumped those points up by a couple. Let's just round it up to close to 50 points, okay? Uh, if he had yeah. 50 points, so if he regresses and he goes back to maybe where he was two years ago and he's in that 35-point range, or even if he was to stay at the 45-point range, if you can get anywhere near that out of a Martin Furk or anywhere near that out of a Kempe, I think more likely with Kempe playing on that second line, if he's playing there with Velarde and if he's playing with Furk, uh, if you can, I, I think the, either of those two guys, if you're, if you're looking at the optimistic side of more offense coming from the second line, right. I think either of them can hang with uh, Alex Iafalo. I do agree with you, though. In general, Iafalo is not the long-term solution at left wing one. He's a placeholder. Uh, great player, mm -hmm. but yeah. ideally, when this team is in championship contention, he will be playing left wing three, and so it's just a matter of time before somebody reaches up and and takes his spot, and uh, we'll see we'll see how right. quickly that happens. Okay, moving well, along. It, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to just say. Yeah, I was going to say. I'd sign yesterday for Kempe twenty twenty five and Furk twenty twenty five because if you do that, if those players do that, John, then they're going to be in contention for the postseason. Okay. Well, hold, hold that thought for just a moment. That's the We're going to leapfrog into question seven if we start going down that road. Let's first get question okay, six no out problem. of the way. Um, <laughs> it, it, question six, I admit, I, I, I picked the wrong player uh, in, in terms of the options here, okay? So question six was, who will have a breakout year next season? And I put up four players, Gabe Velarde, Carl Grunstrom, Mikey Anderson, and Cal Peterson. And in hindsight, I should not have included Velarde in that group. I, I should have known Velarde was going to be the runaway winner. There's a lot of hype. There's a lot of excitement. And also just, you know, recency bias, back to that phrase and term. Um, Velarde had really an outstanding 10-game audition there at the end of last season. So you could almost make the argument that he has already broken out, even though it's a much right. smaller sample size. So I should yeah. have removed him. And for, for a really fair comparison, I should have included somebody uh, in, in the bottom six to go along with Carl Grundstrom, since defensively there really isn't another option to go along with Mikey Anderson. I mean, maybe you could say Bjornfoot or Clegg, but for Grundstrom, you could have thrown in like a, a Matt Luff or even a Trevor Moore or somebody like that. Um, nonetheless, my mistake, I apologize. Uh, Gabe Velarde was the runaway winner, 60% of the votes. It is a little bit interesting. If you didn't vote Velarde, where did the votes go? 22% went to Cal Peterson. Uh, 11 or 12%, I should say, went to Mikey Anderson. And 5% uh, went to Carl Grundstrom. So, uh, Goldstrom did not get a lot of love in this particular grouping of, of four players, but don't count him out. Uh, if you look at his, uh, his, his points produced per the, the small number of games that he's played, there is some opportunity there, and uh, I don't need to pump the tires of Mikey Anderson any more than I already have. No. I've, I've tried to tell you guys the guy's going to wear a letter in Los Angeles, just a, a natural leader, and, and even the coach, Todd McClellan, you know, uh, loves him as well. So any thoughts at hey, all, DB? Me, yeah, let me ask a question, John. Sure. Uh, somebody took a parallel to, on Grunstrom. Things a little less, he's a less talented Dustin Brown. 
I could see, I, I, you know what? Actually, I could see that. Um, he plays left side. Mm-hmm. He plays right side. He's comfortable on both sides. He is a physical player. Sure, you want to call him Dustin yeah. Brown light? Um, I could see that. There was a time period okay. where we thought that Tanner Pearson was going to be Dustin Brown light. It didn't. It only really probably was that comparison because Toffoli was seen as Jeff Carter light. And by the way, right. that's not meant right. as any 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 slight against those players. I mean, let's be honest. No, Jeff no, Carter no. was an, yeah. at, at his peak was a, an elite elite player. Uh, it, but it's just a, you know when you say there are a, a Dustin Brown light or a Tyler Toffoli light, I think it actually helps set context to not create false expectations for a player. But yeah, yeah, I think if right. Carl Grundstrom ends up being Dustin Brown light and he's he's playing on your third line and you can use him interchangeably on the right side, left side, he gives you some some physicality on that line where Blake Lazat gives you some speed and really high hockey IQ as the as the three C. I think the Kings would really be onto something there if if that uh, ends up being how Grundstrom pans out. Okay, the Next final. The, yeah, thank you. The final question, question number seven, DB. This is a good one. Do the LA Kings qualify for the playoffs next season? And just for clarity, next season is this coming season, the twenty twenty slash twenty one season. Um, don't know why I feel the need to clarify that, but uh, I guess because this is like a weird time. Like it, it's totally weird. John. This is the, the off. Blown up. <laughs> this is the off yeah. season in October. We be it's right, just exactly. bizarre. Which season are we talking about? Night. Yes, the season. Last season's know. over. The the the, the bubble <laughs> year is over. Now we're looking forward. So um, will the LA Kings qualify for the playoffs next season? And uh, the answer were there were four options. Yes, they'll make the top three in the Pacific Division. Yes, they will uh, win the wild card. No, they'll just miss out on the playoffs. And no, they're not even close uh, to competing. I'll, I will say, I was a little surprised by how this thing played out. Not so much in what the winner was. The winner was no, just miss out. That was 47%. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But how did the other votes? I always like to look at sort of second and third place. Um, and, right. you know, was it close? It wasn't close. Uh, the next closest answer, they were actually split between wild card and not even close. So you had 23% saying wild card, and then you had 25% going the other way saying that they're not even close. Um, but the 47% saying they'll just miss out on the playoffs doesn't really surprise me because if, I think if you're a, an avid listener of Kings of the Podcast, you sort of know what I think. Well, I know what I believe, and I think what you believe as well, DB, in terms of what they're going to be playing for or not playing for in the second half of next season. Um, I'm probably a little bit more on the optimistic side than you. Is that a fair take? That's a very fair take because I had them not close. But I will qualify by saying this, John. Wait, you voted You, you at, voted not even close? Not even close. Really? Because, hmm. John, I don't believe in the offense. I, I think that the offensive production is going to be about the same. You think it's going to be progression. I, I just... I don't see it. I think there's too many ifs and maybes on this team with respect to their wingers that can uh, produce. And I don't think the thing about it, it goes back to Gabe Velarde too. Like I think Gabe is a goal scorer. I don't see him as a facilitator. And so at that, I question if his wingers can produce. I think he might get 20 goals. I'm not sure what the assist column is going to be like. And we've talked about this on the last episode. If he's going to get 30 assists, who's going to get those goals? They're going to score more. I, I just, I just think that they're lacking offensively, so I don't think they'll come close. Now, I'll qualify by saying this, John. Um, they missed the postseason by eight points. When you look at these teams, Minnesota, worse. Arizona, <laughs> Arizona, uh, Chicago, their stars are up in arms because the, the team just announced they're in a rebuild. And Anaheim, those are the four teams ahead of them. Um, you know, Winnipeg got in, but uh, so the question is, could they improve over that? Yeah, because the teams in front of them could be worse. And if there's some marginal improvement by this team, could they be in the mix for that? I, I just, my vote is just based on 
I just don't see the offense. Maybe a season after, maybe as Rob talked about when he came on, maybe the, and it's very clear, right, John? The, the, the off season for moves wasn't this off season. No. Now the next off season, right? Exactly. So again, this will be evaluations. Maybe some players emerge. Maybe there's some surprises. To me, there's too many ifs and maybes to say, hey, look, when we get to a week before the season ends, are they still playing games of consequence? I'm not confident they will. It's not a disrespectful thing. It's just that I still have a. I just think the question marks they have offensively prevents them from being in the mix this season. But again, with the qualifications that the three teams in front of them, <laughs> they're not in good shape either. All right, so I, I can respect and appreciate where you're coming from. We don't have to duke this one out like some of uh, some of your other takes that I take yeah. sincere <laughs> exception to. Uh, I, I I will respect to uh, respectfully acknowledge where you're coming from. Uh, how about this though? Terry Murray used to talk about breaking the season up. He's not the only coach, but Terry Murray used to talk to us about breaking the season up into ten game chunks, and and perhaps in this truncated season that we're about to experience maybe it needs to be in like five or seven game increments but what we'll do is how about every five to seven games once the season gets going we'll run this exact same poll we'll check the temperature of everybody and uh we'll we'll, we'll get an on a sort of a running a running temperature check and we'll see what the fans are thinking we know what they're thinking today there still is quite a bit of time before the season gets going maybe you know maybe feelings will change before then who knows so maybe we'll ask it on opening night and then we'll we'll work our way forward from there uh, i also just want to end with this db i think the show is much better the more we bring the listeners and bring the fans into the program so uh, if you're listening and you have an idea for a Twitter poll please send it to us uh, let us know what that what it is you know what your idea is we'll try to you know wordsmith it paraphrase it make it better make it different whatever uh, co- you know put it in 280 characters get it up on Twitter we'll we'll run some polls we'll check and see what other fans are thinking and then we'll uh, discuss it uh, it's to me that's when the program is best DB Absolutely. The interaction with the fans. And, you know, John, we have amazing fans. And by the time people listen to this, we would have passed 100,000 lifetime listens for Kings of the Podcast. So I couldn't agree with you more. Thanks to all the fans for all the support over. And, John, we're doing this, I think, 14 months now. So it's just been a, it's been a long, grueling process sometimes. But, uh, and it's been tough sometimes to talk about the team when they weren't doing well. But, again, I couldn't agree with you more. I think the interaction with the fans just makes the show better. And we're not above uh, reaching out to our great audience and asking them for input. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, DB, I have to tell you, I already have, spoiler alert, the next four guests already lined up and ready to go. So thank you to the first 100,000 people that have listened. We're now looking ahead to the next 100,000 people that are going to be listening. And uh, more guests lined up, more Kings of the Podcasts coming up very soon. DB, thanks again for uh, doing this. And it's uh, it's been a real pleasure to get all these quarantined episodes in and can't wait to drop another one soon. Let's do it, Jake. All right, everybody, have a great week. We will talk to you very, very soon. This week at Macy's, get great deals on fashion and home essentials. Update your wardrobe with 20% off new spring shoes and sneakers. 
and 20 to 50% off fresh looks for him and her. Plus, transform your space with Lux Hotel Collection Bedding, now 40% off. And Macy's Star Rewards members can earn on every purchase except gift cards, services, and fees. More at Macy's.com slash Star Rewards. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply.